All right. Well, uh, I am really excited to, to be here with you. I'm going to go through a, a book of the Bible that I, I really love. We're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. We're going to be looking at his life. Uh, we actually don't know much about Hosea's life, okay? Uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you uh, much about him, but I'm going to tell you about what the circumstance was that he was in. But to get there, I want to give you guys a little context. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back way back when to the nation, when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And Judah and its kings followed the Lord a little more closely than did Israel, and they didn't usually get the reputation that the northern kingdom had, uh, but they were still not perfect by any means. In fact, uh, the Lord would carry both of the kingdoms into exile, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and the southern by the Babylonians. And so... Uh, uh, God, during this time, during this time when these, these, the kingdoms were separated, wanted to communicate his word to his people, which is what he always did. He loved communicating to his people. Now, the way that he did that in this time, the common way that God spoke to his people was through prophets. And so what I want to do is kind of talk to you a little about what a prophet was, so you kind of understand that, before we get f too far into the book, uh, written by this prophet named Hosea. I think nowadays when we think of prophet, what we think of is someone that, that exclusively tells the future. All right, That's not what people back then would have thought in the 7th or 8th century BC. Uh, what they would have thought when they heard the word prophet is they would have thought someone who will communicate God's word to them, whether it was in the future or it was something for that day. Uh, but they were expecting to hear a word from God from the prophet. And so that's exactly what a prophet was. Uh, there are obviously cases where prophets did tell the future, but that wasn't the main task of a prophet the main task was to speak the word of God to the people, all right? So as we're looking at the book of Hosea, and he is a prophet, one of the minor prophets, one of the 12, um, what we want to think is that this is God's word to this man for God's people, all right? God speaking to Hosea, Hosea speaking to the people on God's behalf. Now, the first prophet that we come across in Scripture was Abraham, the last prophet was John the Baptist, um, and uh, there's a whole bunch in between there. The paper that I'm writing right now, uh, actually, I'm actually drawing attention to the fact that the repeating of God's words uh, is worship, all right? And so what the prophet's job was, was just to obey God and telling God's people his word. All right, and so in the paper that I'm writing right now, what I'm saying is I'm trying to take this concept of, of what a prophet does, and I'm trying to show that, that what a prophet does by speaking God's words to God's people is actually worship. And so I think that is actually, um, when we talk about the modern gift of prophecy, we're not, talking about, uh, we're not talking about foretelling the future once again. What we're talking about is foretelling of God's word. And actually, preachers have the gift of prophecy. Because why? They are taking God's word and they are sharing it to God's people. I think it is the number one task of a preacher is to take the words of God and communicate those words of God to God's people who need to hear them. It's actually what I'm doing right now, right? 
We're going to go through a scripture, and I'm going to communicate that scripture to you, and I hope that God uses that in your lives, and I hope that he illumines you, and I hope uh, that his word takes root in your heart and that you see some things a little differently uh, in your lives. Um, so we have prophets all throughout Scripture. I mentioned Abraham. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned John the Baptist. Uh, you can see this gift of prophecy really working itself out so many times through Scripture. God saying to a prophet, say this to my people. And the prophet going and obeying and saying his words to those people. You can see it really clearly in Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 5. This is what it says. Moses summoned all Israel to him and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And so you see that Moses was enacting this prophetic role. God was speaking to him, and he was speaking to the people. Now, God tried to speak to them, but they were too scared. And they said, nope, Moses, you go ahead and you talk to God. We're too scared of him. He's too powerful. He's too magnificent. He's too glorious. He is too everything that we're not. He's too holy, and we can't be in his presence. What we want you to do, you go, you talk to him, you tell him, uh, you tell us his words. We see this again uh, in the book of Isaiah 6, 8 through 9. This is what Isaiah says. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. And he said, God said, go and say this to the people. So you see, God's word is given to a prophet, and the prophet takes that word to the people. One of the, the greatest instances of this is Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4. Another prophet, Ezekiel, does the exact same thing. This is what he writes. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll, which represented God's words, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So once again, you see this prophet standing in that gap. God saying, here, eat my words. Take this scroll, eat it, and, and it's, it's an image, all right? And, and the idea is that God's words are then inside of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel takes those words, and he teaches them to Israel. And it's a wonderful thing uh, to see in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful thing that we're going to see tonight as we go through the book of Hosea. Don't forget, this is God speaking to the people through Hosea. Every now and then, God would choose a little more visual way to get his message across to people. All right? Sometimes he would say, hey, just go tell this to them. And, and that was really easy to do. Sometimes in a few prophets' lives, he did something different. And he would say, you know what I want you to do? I want you to act this out so that they understand. 
So you're going to give my words to them in a little bit different way. You're going to act something out, and then you're also going to give them my words. Most notable in Scripture for doing that uh, is Jeremiah. While Jeremiah uh, was, was asked on numerous occasions to act out what the Lord wanted to say to his people, he had to one time buy a clay flask and smash it in front of the elders of the people to show how God would break the people in the city because of their idolatry. And so you can imagine God's prophet, it's not just words this time. There's a visual example. And so this time, uh, Jeremiah has this flask, and he has it in front of the elders, and he just bashes it to pieces so that they can see their sin of idolatry and say, look, if we continue in this idolatrous way, God is going to deal with us the same way that I just dealt with this jar. And so Jeremiah was the prophet really who acted out so many of God's words to the people. And I think Hosea, for me, really fits into that category because what we're going to see in his life is that God is going to use his life and actually his marriage uh, to really tell the people what he wanted to say to them. All right. Not only is Hosea going to use words, his life and his marriage in particular are going to be a visual sign of what God wants to communicate to his people. Uh, speaking about marriage, I've, I've, uh, I've just, uh, I've done several marriages. I did uh, another marriage recently and it was, it was an awesome time for me. I heard that I called the bride the wrong name. Uh, once in that, in, in that ceremony, I don't know how I did it, but I called the bride my daughter's name, uh, which is awkward in itself. Um, but <laughs> uh, I've done that so much. Uh, I've, I've done so many uh, weddings in my days. I really enjoy them. It's a great time for me. In, in premarital counseling, I will always take a couple through Ephesians 5 because it's just a beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be. Sometimes in ceremonies, I'll also draw upon that passage just to communicate uh, that our relationships here on earth, uh, our marriage relationships between a husband and a wife are to reflect the relationship that we have with our God. And so I want to start off by going to Ephesians 5 real quick. And we're going to be there for just a second uh, because God in a very similar way, is going to use Hosea's marriage, all right, to communicate something about his relationship that he has with his people, Israel, all right? Very similarly, Paul to the Ephesians uh, talks about marriage and how it reflects what our relationship with God is like. So this is what uh, Ephesians 5.22 says, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So right away, we have this, uh, this example of how a marriage is supposed to reflect our relationship with the Lord. And this time, it's to wives. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord. Do you know how wives submit to the Lord willingly and lovingly because they love him because he saved them? All right? And so in marriage, our marriages are supposed to reflect that reality of our relationship with God, that we are to be in submission to him. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. So Christ is our head. The husband is the head of the wife. His body, uh, the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Then he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Do you see the parallel? 
Husbands are supposed to love their wives because in our relationship with God, Christ loves us. All right? And so Paul wants to just draw on this and say, and bring that into marriage. Just like God loves you, you are to love your wife. Just like the wife is supposed to submit to her husband, so the church willingly and lovingly submits to Jesus. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, this is other things that Christ did for the church that don't exactly apply to marriage. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen to this, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, just like God loves the church, just like Christ loves the church, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Again, we see Christ and the church, this special relationship that is supposed to be radiant in our marriage. The way that I love my wife should reflect to the world how Christ loves me. The way that she submits and respects me should show the whole world how she loves and, and submits herself to the Lord. We have this marriage uh, pointing to our relationship with God. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul gets to the end of this, and he says, this is a profound mystery, that we have this kind of a relationship with God, where he would love us selflessly and unconditionally, and we submit to him. And when we get married, our relationship, our marriage relationship between us and our spouse should reflect that reality uh, of God and his church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul uses uh, marriage as an example of what our relationship with God is like. And in the same way, he's going to talk to Hosea and he's going to use Hosea's marriage as, as a visible representation of what his relationship to Israel was like at the time. And it's not all flowery and cheery like it was in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Jesus loves the church. And Jesus loved his people back then when he's talking to Hosea. So in the book of Hosea, written by the prophet Hosea, God shows his relationship to his people by way of a marriage. And just because he does this a little differently, I don't want to take away from the fact that Hosea is a prophet of God. Okay? His marriage is going to speak to the people, but he is also going to speak to the people on God's behalf. And God is going to use Hosea in their lives, hopefully, to stir up something in them that says, we have sinned against the Lord. We have to return to God. A lot of this book that we're going to read is not so flowery as what we just read from Paul. A lot of this book is God uh, and his accusation against Israel Israel's recognition of guilt, God's rebuke on Israel, and God's punishment on Israel. But under all of it is this theme of God's deep love for his people and his selfless, 
unconditional love for them. Now, we're going to get into the book right now. I'm not going to start in chapter 1. I'm breaking uh, tradition here. But as we get into this, what I, what I hope that you see is God's love undergirding this entire passage. Now, we're not going to get to much of God's love today because we're going to read over 11, which does have that theme of God's love. But then we're going to go back and we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to look at chapter 1 and we're going to see it's not so great then. And we're going to look at Hosea's life and, and what God called him uh, to do. But we're going to go to Hosea 11 first. So I'm going to flip over there. Not a large chapter, just 14. I'm sorry, not a large book, just 14 chapters. But in chapter 11, I really think is the best place where we can see God's undergirding love in everything that he's about to show Israel through the prophet Hosea. He's going to talk to them, and he's going to show them uh, through his marriage. So this is what chapter 11 says. This is God talking. When Israel was a child, I loved him. All right? He's talking about the nation of Israel, all of his people. When they were children, I loved them. And out of Egypt, when they were young in their, in their childhood, I called out my son. All right, So he's talking about their slavery, their time in Egypt. I loved them and I freed them from Egypt. This is actually uh, also later in the New Testament used uh, as a prophecy uh, that Christ fulfilled because Christ was exiled to Egypt and then was, was called out. All right, listen, this is what God says next. The more I called my people, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So this is the underlying problem of the entire book of Hosea spelled out for us right here. It is this sacrificing, this worshiping, of idols, all right? These people would not quit, all right? And so we have this, this undertone of love throughout the whole, the whole book, but the problem is Israel's idolatry to the Baals. Now, they, they would worship uh, the Baals. They would sometimes sacrifice their children. Uh, this was horrible, horrible things that these people were doing. It wasn't just like they just stopped following God and started doing their own thing. They abandoned God, they forsook God, and they took new gods, all right? Uh, and if you read First and Second Kings, a king was usually measured on how they ridded Israel or Judah of idols, all right? And it was a good king or it was a bad king. If it was a good king, they helped lead the people back to the Lord. If they were a bad king, they led the people back into idolatry. And we see it over and over again. Every time I read First and Second Kings, it talks about how the people would make for themselves shrines on top of hills or mountains and, and below trees. And every time I read that, I think of our time in Argentina because everywhere that we went in the mountains, no matter where it was, on the highest hills, there was always a shrine. Beneath trees, there was shrines so often. It was, a, it was a really big, significant tree. There would always be a shrine under there. And I hated seeing those things. I hated looking up on top of hills and seeing shrines dedicated to false gods. And this was the problem in Hosea's time. And God is about to call them out on it and say, don't go into this. And, and you are going into it. I'm trying to call you out of it. And the more he called... Uh, the more they were called, the more they went away. This is verse 3. 
Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Now Ephraim was the largest of the tribes in the northern kingdom. So when, uh, when Hosea is talking about Ephraim, he's really just talking about all of Israel, that northern uh, kingdom. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms. Listen to these, this love language that God is using here. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. He cared for them. He tried to make it easy for them. Verse 5, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. This is actually a prophecy that the, Assyrian would, the Assyrians would come in and they would take the northern kingdom into captivity. <clears throat> because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Those are actually uh, cities on the same plane that Sodom and Gomorrah was on. So this is really just a reference to when God dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then God says this, listen to this. This is, this is that love that's undergirding this whole book. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west back to him. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. And we'll stop right there. God's love for Israel is so apparent in this chapter. And it's going to be very important that you know that before we get into the first chapter. So right now, let's go over to the first chapter. You already have seen that the underlying problem is idolatry. Um, You've seen uh, that God has called a prophet to go and speak to his people. But not only speak to them, he is going to serve as an example. And his relationship with his wife is going to reflect the relationship that God has with Israel in that time. Hosea is actually called the deathbed prophet because his prophecy was the very last one before Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And that was God's punishment for all of the idolatry and all of the wandering. Just because God loves his people doesn't mean he won't punish them, right? That's something that runs through all of the pages of scripture. If, if he, he will call us out, he will correct us, he will, he will punish us if we need it. And so he did with Israel. But I don't want you to forget the theme of love running through this whole book. So now we're going to go to Hosea 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9, and that's where we're going to be tonight. And I want to tell you this as we get into the book for the next three weeks. We're not going to be reading every single verse of this entire book, okay? Uh, There's so much history that we would probably never get through everything. But what I want to do is I want to take the highlights from this, this book and really help you understand the book as a whole in these next uh, three weeks that I'll be with you. So uh, with all of that said, let's uh, get into Hosea 1. 
the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Now, I want you to remember that this isn't Hosea just sitting down and he just decided to write something by his own will. Okay, he makes it very clear in the very first verse. The word of the Lord came to me. I didn't just invent these things. I was listening to God. And so that's very important as we're thinking about everything that God was telling Hosea to because God had called him to do these things. By the way, the word Hosea means salvation. So in this dark kind of weird uh, book by this prophet, uh, it has the title of salvation, which is a hopeful title, right? Salvation is a good thing. And so though what we're going to look at today, Hosea's marriage to Gomer, Though it's pretty bleak, uh, just the name of the very book gives us hope. And we're going to see that it's pointing to the hope of salvation. It's pointing to the hope that God is going to redeem. So Hosea means salvation. The son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are four kings from Judah, the southern kingdom. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, so the northern kingdom. So this is, uh, this is what it says. This is verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, if you've never been in Hosea, this is probably pretty surprising to you. The word of the Lord comes to you and he says, he says to Hosea, Hosea, what I want you to do is go and take a wife that's a prostitute. That's strong words. If you think you're surprised by it, think of Hosea, who was a prophet of God. How, how wide were his eyes? How can I defile myself like that? God, why would you ever ask me to do something like that? And so what I would never want to do is take away from the surprise of some of these moments. If you think you're surprised, Hosea was a little more surprised uh, than you. Go and take yourself for yourself a prostitute in marriage. Then he gives the reason. Because the land of the people are forsaking their Lord. All right, What that's saying is Israel is forsaking me. So what I want you to do, Hosea, is I want you to go and marry a prostitute. To us, that might not make too much sense until you remember that God's people had a covenant with God. God had a covenant with his people, and they had broken that covenant just like a marriage covenant. And when someone breaks the covenant with the Lord, he looks at it as idolatry, as them prostituting themselves out to another God. So it wasn't just, okay, God, we're not going to worship you anymore. We're just going to go and do our own thing. No, God, we're breaking our covenant with you. You love us. We are forsaking you. You have redeemed us. We're leaving you. We're going after another. We're going and we're going to false God. All right, verse three. So Hosea did that. He went and took Gomer. Now Gomer, the word Gomer actually means complete. So we, we see some, how would you call a prostitute complete? Isn't it beautiful how the Lord works all of this out? 
Biri, uh, Hosea's father, his name actually means the well of Yahweh. All right? Homer, the prostitute that Hosea was supposed to marry, her name means complete. Now, I, I don't want to go into too much detail and just make too much out of this, but here's, here's what people that, were, that would, would have heard this would have thought. God is doing something here. Why would a prostitute's name be this? Why would Hosea's name mean that? And so God is going to do something. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim. Now, Deblaim, another word, another name, okay? This is Gomer's father that has a significant meaning. His name is Two Cakes. That's what uh, my na- nickname in high school was, Two Cakes. I'm not going to go into that. We're just going to keep going. I don't know why it's Two Cakes. It's not very significant for us right now. So he went and took Gomer, the son of Deblaim, Two Cakes, And she conceived, and she bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call your son's name Jezreel. Now, when someone would have heard the name Jezreel in this time, what they would have thought of is a place of bloodshed, okay? So that's immediately what their minds would have gone to. And so he says, call his name, call your first son's name by the prostitute who you've married. Call him basically what's going to call up into everybody's mind, bloodshed. For in a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. They won't have any defense. Their bows will be broken. God is going to do something there. And his son is is named Jezreel. Then Gomer conceives again and bore a daughter, And the Lord said to Hosea, call your daughter's name, no mercy, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord, their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. What he's saying there is I'm going to not show mercy to you, Israel. And Hosea, you're going to name your daughter, no mercy. And the reason that you're going to name her no mercy is because I'm not going to show mercy this time to Israel. I am going to deal with Israel this time, how they need to be dealt with. But because Judah has been more faithful to to me, I will show mercy to the southern kingdom of Judah. Let's continue uh, reading. This is verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, don't forget, that's the name of her daughter, she conceived again. Now, don't forget, Hosea was told by God to go and marry a prostitute. And in marrying a prostitute, he was going to show Israel what God's relationship to them was like. Now, when he met his wife and when he took her as a wife, he loved her as a husband. And they had kids, so they had three children. Now, the third child is, we have a name for Right here, when, he had, when she had weaned and no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. That would be pretty rough at a dinner party for Hosea when you're introducing your family. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. My name is Hosea. It means salvation. This is my wife, uh, Gomer. Her name means complete. This is my son, Jezreel. His name means bloodshed. And it conjures the sort, sorts of war, images of war in your mind. And this is, uh, this is my daughter. Her name is No Mercy. This is my other son. We named him Not My People. 
oh my gosh, don't talk to Hosea anymore. That guy seems crazy, right? This was all to show Israel something that was very true about their relationship with the Lord, that they had gone, they had prostituted themselves off, that they were a people of bloodshed, that they would be shown no mercy, and that they were not God's people anymore. Why? Not because God had abandoned them, because they had said to God, God, you're not my God anymore. Because you're not my God, God says, all right, if I'm not your God, I guess you're not my people. It's actually very sad. So here's, here's how I want to close tonight, just show you a few things. Really leaving on a high note, right? Oh my gosh. Come back next week. We're going to see how all of this works in and, and how this is actually just a beautiful picture of what the Lord has done for us. But I want to leave you with these three things. Because of Israel's idolatry, they needed a picture and words from God. And God chose Hosea to use Hosea's life and his marriage as his words to the people. And later we'll get into some of the words that, that Hosea spoke. Here's the next thing that I want you to remember uh, before we come back next week. In his relationship, Hosea understood God's permission, uh, sorry, God's position as a forsaken husband, all right? What we're gonna see next week is that Gomer leaves, all right, and abandons him. And Hosea is going to see and feel exactly how the Lord feels that his per people have abandoned uh, him. Hosea's marriage is a picture of God's relationship to Israel. They played the harlot and God remained faithful. The last thing I want you to see tonight is that Hosea and Israel saw through Hosea's message, okay? Hosea and all of the people of Israel saw through Hosea's message their sin and their idolatry. Not just his message of words, but the message of his life. And when they looked at Hosea's family and they heard what his children's names were, they would remember their sin and they would say, you know what? We need to return to God. So that is all I have for you tonight. We'll see you back next week, 6.15, uh, and I will continue in the book. If you want to read ahead, we will definitely be, we'll finish the rest of chapter one, and we'll uh, probably go into two and three next week. So you guys have a great night. You're dismissed.